Welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Helena Knappick, and this podcast aims to give mentoring and career advice to women in the Australian public service and beyond. On this episode, I will be talking with Danielle Wood about the Women in Economics Network, some career advice that she's received over her career, her definition of success, and the importance of role models. Danny has worked across government, consulting, and think tanks and organisations such as the Productivity Commission, uh, Neuroconsulting, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, and the Grattan Institute. Danny has provided mentorship to many women and notably established the Women in Economics Network, also known as WEN. WEN is linked to the Economic Society of Australia and was formed to promote and support the careers of female economists in Australia. I've known Danny for a couple of years and she has been a source of um, inspiration, definitely a role model for myself and somebody that I look up to, so I'm very happy to share this conversation with Danielle Wood with you. Okay, so Danny, thank you so much for joining me. It's really a pleasure to, to have you here on the Empowered Podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Great. So um, firstly, we'll get right into it. So can you tell us a little bit about your background, your career and your role at the moment? Yeah, sure. So I'm an economist by, by training and I've had a career across a range of different sectors. So I started at the Productivity Commission um, because I was really passionate about microeconomics and passionate about policy, so how I could actually apply that to make policy better. So that was actually a really wonderful place to start my career. Um, from there, I went on to work at the HCC in the mergers area, so trying to look at the competition impact of, of businesses merging. I went and did consulting for a couple of years, um, still in that sort of competition consumer sort of space. I then went back to the ACCC when they started an internal uh, economic consulting group um, and, and worked there again. And at the moment, I'm at the Grattan Institute. So my role, my title is a bit of a mouthful. It's the program director in charge of budget policy and institutional reform. Um, for those that don't know the Grattan Institute, we are a think tank, um, an independent think tank that um, we sort of sit in the political centre. We focus on evidence-based policy. So we're advocating policy changes that we think are in the national interest. Um, so I do a mix of work on, on budget policy, um, tax policy, um, as well as this new stream of work that we're calling institutional reform. So, for example, at the moment I'm working on a project about the way in which vested interests will try and influence um, the policy-making process. So how they use donations, how they lobby, how they run public campaigns to try and get policy change in their favour and whether the kind of current checks and balances on that are sufficient. Um, so my work's quite an interesting mix of um, research, analysis, but then there's kind of the, the advocacy side. So going out and talking to decision makers, um, you know, ministers, people in opposition or the crossbenchers, um, as well as trying to advocate for change publicly through talking in the media. And did you, when you were first starting out your career or even first starting out studying economics, did you sort of think that you would end up here, so in this uh, a place somewhere like Grattan Institute? No, to be honest, I don't think I would have known that such a place existed. Yeah. And in fact, the Grattan Institute didn't exist when I, when I first started my career. But no, I mean, a think tank wasn't really even on my radar. But I did, you know, I studied economics in high school and 
I remember even back then, my teacher said it was very important that you watch the federal budget. Um, so, you know, age 16, I was watching the budget um, and I have for every single year since then. Um, and now I'm, you know, in the budget lockup and, yeah, you know, wow. writing articles and covering the budget. So I, I never imagined this kind of precise career path, but, you know, it's kind of really great to think that you know, things that I was interested in it back that far and now is, you know, part of my career and my work. <laughs> Absolutely. And I suppose um, even if we're thinking about studying economics in an early age, like that seems to be something that you're quite passionate about. So one of the things that I do want to talk to you about specifically, um, even though you've done so many incredible things in your career, is just to focus on when. So the Women in Economics Network, um, and there's been a, a lot of work done by this network that you've established to try and reach students in, in high schools and encourage them to study economics. So what made you want to establish the network? Uh, so the network actually went back to something that the Economic Society set up, which was a, um, a women in economics retreat. So they'd identified they had a problem with women in the economics profession. And um, one idea that they had was, well, let's sort of set up this retreat where we have 20 to 30 junior mid-career women um, go away for two days. They have six senior mentors um, and really try and, you know, work through some of the challenges facing women in the profession. Um, so from that first retreat, actually a group of us said, well, I think we need something a little bit more permanent and something more systematic to deal with some of the gender issues in the economics profession. Um, so really from there, the Women in Economics Network was born. Um, and as you say, one of the things we focus on, we, kind of, we think about challenges for women at each stage of the career pipeline. Um, and ultimately we know that women aren't you know, getting to the most senior roles. But a very important part of what we do is, is thinking about how we actually get more women into the discipline. And as you say, that's about studying economics at high school and university. Um, and some of the numbers around you know, high school enrolments in particular are really stark. So I think enrolments have fallen from New South Wales, it was 8,000 to 2,000 a year in, in year 12 economics. So we've had a huge fall in economic enrolments in general. And then a declining share of that shrinking pie are women. Um, so it used to be gender balance in economics, if you go back 20, 30 years, was close to 50% in year 12 economics. Um, today it's only about a third of those students are female. Um, so we're losing a lot of students in general to things like business studies and legal studies, but less and less women are attracted to, to studying economics at that early stage. Now of course you can still go on to become an economist if you haven't done high school economics, but that is an important feeder into the discipline. Um, so that's certainly something we've been thinking a lot about as a network. Um, we have really great links with teachers associations. We have teachers on our committees. Um, we're running events in every state for, for school students to actually show them what a career in economics can look like um, so they can actually hear from people working in the field and, and see that it's not just about money and finance. It's kind of all sorts of interesting jobs that you can go to if you have a background in economics. And we've also just um, released a video I um, saw that today. Did you? It's oh, so good. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't <laughs> so it? Good. It's the same principle. It's, you yeah. know, um, five or six um, professional economists from different sectors. We've got someone from a bank. We've got some academics, um, you know, talking about their job, why they chose to study economics and why they think that can make a difference in the world. And that's, um, even watching that today, I sent it around to a few people as well because they were, they've been looking into um, just similar issues and, and trying to even, even at a professional level, understand economics better and see if they wanted to be studying economics further. So I think that was very useful. So good on you for oh, that Oh, that's together. fantastic. I'm glad you, I'm glad you liked it. And we're um, 
we're trying to kind of get that out through teachers associations yeah. and so if you know anyone that's wondering what economics oh, is or whether they might to go there i'll definitely <laughs> share it around <laughs> well so it sounds like this um so the retreat itself it started with the um, economic society of australia it's something that you seem to have carried through with the um, women in economics is that right yeah that's right yeah. so i mean we sort of formally established as a, a network so we're we're part of the economic society of australia yeah. but we have our own committees we run our own events um and so the network's taken over running the retreats so it's now yeah. an annual event um yeah. and something that i'm you know really proud of you know i've i've sort of um run run the event for the last couple of years it's been really fantastic because we deliberately kind of select a mix of participants and mentors from government from private sector from academia um so you get this group of people coming together that might not otherwise cross paths um because we know we can be kind of sometimes segregated as a profession so you know um, you know, junior mid-career women from right across Australia, from those different sectors, kind of talking about their work, sharing ideas, and the energy levels are just fantastic. It's just a real, it's just a two really brilliant days. Yeah, well, yeah. one of my friends actually attended, and some of the things that she got, she was just like, you know, I learned so much from like an economist who was um, an academic, and and just understanding her career a bit better and seeing that like the different paths that you can take, it was um, very beneficial for her own career, even though she's been within you know, the public service for about past five or six years. So um, it definitely seems to be like a lot of pos positives that come out of that retreat itself as oh, well. Oh, that's wonderful, wonderful to hear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so if, again, thinking about the network, so what is one of the most surprising things that you learnt about establishing a network such as, such as this Women in Economics? The most surprising thing to me is actually um, – how easy it was to get people to agree to do things. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, when we were setting up, we were, you know, talking about our launch events and we wanted, um, who, who would we like to speak, for example? Like, oh, we'd love to have, you know, Lucy Ellis from the Reserve Bank or so Jessica good. Irvine yeah. from the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. And I thought, oh, gosh, but, you know, these people will, will never agree, but, you know, we'll have our kind of wish list. And everyone said yes. It was it was phenomenal. And then just the attendance at those events as well. I mean, I think we had more than eight hundred people from across the country attending launch events. I think we had to about two hundred fifty in Melbourne. Um, so I think there was a huge unmet demand for something like this. Um, so there was there was clearly kind of a, a groundswell of support and. I was just blown away and I continue to be blown away that if you ask people and they believe in what you're doing, they're often quite willing to, to share their time to help you. Well, I can, uh, you know, I, I agree with that sentiment. So even sitting here with you, I, I would never have thought that you would sit down here with me and, <laughs> and record this podcast and I'd just ask and people might say yes. So <laughs> I'm pretty happy with Always that. Always <laughs> ask. Um, so I suppose that's a good piece of advice that people kind of put in their pocket as well, particularly if this podcast is a little bit more about mentoring. Um, and also, did you experience any difficulties or pushbacks when you were establishing um, the network? Were there people who thought that there, there was no need for it? or? Yeah, there was a little bit of that. So I'd say in general, we were pretty pleased with the level of support that we got from the profession and particularly the Economic Society. There was a couple of individuals that sort of said, you know, why do we need this? Um, and ultimately, I hope that they were brought around by the success um, so certainly you know if you look at um, numbers of women in the economic society so when we started the network um, the society was about one quarter women um, after three months of the network being up and running the society was 40 percent women oh, um, so they had a huge boost in their membership numbers because all these women that 
previously not engaged with the product um, were all of a sudden kind of interested in, in what was happening. So, you know, that's a benefit for the network, but it's also a benefit for the broader economic society and the broader profession to have people more engaged in the kind of cross-sector collaboration we were talking about before. Um, the other group, actually, where scepticism came from were, were young women. Really? Okay. Um, you know, not a, not a huge group, mm. but there was a handful. Um, and when I kind of heard what they were saying, you know, in a way it probably would have reflected something that I would have thought at the start of my career as well. So I think, you know, particularly if you've been a high achiever and, and you've come through and you've just started in the workforce, um, sometimes the, the barriers that might exist or some of the... Um, gendered issues aren't necessarily clear to you at that point mm. in time. I think it's often actually as you've got further into your career and you start looking around and there's fewer and fewer women around, you think, gosh, what's going on? Yeah. And it's only really to me anyway, at least when I was kind of well into my career, that I started to think, gosh, there might be something going on here. And mm. certainly for me actually attending that first retreat um, where most of the attendees for that one were, were academic economists and hearing some of their stories about Know, this is not unconscious bias, this is kind of outright yeah. <laughs> um, gender bias that they had faced was incredibly eye-opening for me. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, um, I can sympathise with that in, in terms of, um, you know, thinking that maybe it's all, um, particularly at the beginning of your career, like you said, so thinking that, you know, everyone starts at the similar playing level, but once you do start to progress and even once you start to analyse um, women who are in more senior roles, yeah, it's just like, where, where are they? Where are the people who are representing me and, and wh where, what can I attain through through this role? So representation is definitely a, a, a big issue and something that I think this network is um, uh, exposing the women who are already out there in the world. Um, is doing a really good job with that as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, role models matter so much and particularly for women, role models matter a lot. They want to be able to see, um, you know, what success looks like in their particular field and often they want to see other women that, that have made it to kind of get an idea of, of how that actually works and what that looks like. So, you know, we had someone at the retreat last year who had gone through her whole university degree and never had a female lecturer. So this is someone who's graduated in the past yeah. you know, 10 years and has gone through without seeing a, a senior female academic. So, you know, if that happens to you, you know, are you going to be attracted to going and becoming an economics academic because you just don't see yourself in yeah. that. So, you know, there there are a lot of women doing extremely well in this profession and, as you say, part of the network is just highlighting yeah, that, showing absolutely. those faces to people so they can see um, what that looks like. Absolutely. And even if I'm thinking back to one of the earlier WEN events, um, I do remember listening to a speech with um, Lucy Ellis as well. And so she was talking about even certain strategies that some organisations can take. So I think... Um, uh, the RBA has decided to make uh, graduate offers earlier in the year. So that was one of their active strategies to actually get more women on board because a lot of the times women are more risk adverse when they're um, accepting their offers. So even those simple strategies from women who are already in senior positions, um, I think, yeah, it seems like it will be a significant change within women who will be going into those roles in the future. Yeah, we certainly hope so. And, I mean, there's more and more evidence about these things and, and what works to attract women. Um, I just saw something today from the Behavioural Insights team have sort of summarised all the literature about, you know, if you're really serious about boosting female participation mm. in certain sectors, you know, what strategies you can use in terms of your recruitment, in terms of your selection panels. Because, um, you know, this is, people say, well, what about merit? Well, this is actually 
about marriage. About um, me, yeah. You know, what what all the evidence shows is that, you know, unconscious bias and these things do exist and they're leading to a world where it's not the most uh, meritorious group mm. that are getting through. And what you want to be able to do is actually try and set up your processes um, in order to address those biases as much as possible. So you can make sure the best candidates get the job. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that um, we established a women's network as well at our organisation. So, and unconscious bias is one of the things that we've just sort of been grappling with, like how do you actually address this and whether or not, you know, if something is unconscious, like how do you draw people's attention to it without exasperating it? Because that apparently there's been some research into that as well, saying that sometimes if you highlight people's biases, they become more biased. So, um, yes, trying to find processes that don't actually do that. Um, but there are ways to go around, like the RBA has obviously shown as well. Um, so we spoke before about um, so role models and representation, and then also like you know if you can't necessarily see someone is uh, succeed in your particular area, that sort of brings my mind to this idea of success um, and how everybody can have their own different idea of what success would be. So in your mind, like what is success to you? To me personally. Um, I think, you know, success is feeling intellectually challenged and feeling like I'm making a difference. So certainly when I've weighed up different offers at different points in my career, that's always been my primary motivation. Um, so it's not always been about how do I get up the ladder the quickest or how do I get the best paying job? Certainly, you know, I went from consulting back to government so clearly that's not <laughs> my objective function um, but I always want to do something that I feel is you know making a difference and that I feel is in the national interest but I I do love jobs that are, are new and, and challenging as well so to me that's success um, and I think if you do that some people like to plan their career in more detail um, I think that's hard to do and it's becoming increasingly hard to do yeah. Um, as, as jobs shift. But I think if you kind of know what you look for in a job, you're more likely to make good decisions and often that will then take you up the ladder, even if that's not the, the thing that you're looking for first and foremost. Yeah, and I suppose that also plays into this idea of um, making choices by your values and that can also help you to lead a, a more happy and fulfilled life. So it's not only about success in your career, but then if you're leading with your values and the things that you find challenging within your work, then that'll also bleed into to happiness and, and to feeling um, yeah, fulfilled and, and happy in your life as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, how you feel about your work has such a big impact on, on how you feel about your life in general. It's such an important part of yeah. what we do. Um, the other thing I should say that I've always looked for is to work for someone that I feel like I can respect a lot and learn a lot from. Um, certainly I've had, um, most of my managers would be in that category and I know that when I've had the couple that weren't in that category, it's been a much less satisfying role for me. So I've always, um, you know, searched out people I think will be um, good, effectively good mentors um, to be my boss. Absolutely. And so in terms of... Um finding a mentor, is that something that you have um, made an active choice in looking for someone or you've sort of found them through people, that well, through your managers and through people that you've worked with sort of um, inadvertently? Yeah, mainly inadvertently, to be honest. So to me, most of the people in my career that I would consider mentors are people that I've actually worked for yep. um, and often stayed in touch with after I've worked for them. Um, and as I said, I've, I've you know, often sought out to work for those people because I have a lot of respect for them. Um, and I just find, to me, that's the, the way that I get the most out of that relationship. 
is by actually kind of watching them on the job and yeah. um, you know picking up the the parts of their their style that I like. Um, so th- I've had more of that sort of mentoring rather than you know the very kind of formal mentoring. Um, but you know it's horses for courses. And again, you know going back to the very point we made at the very start, if you ask, um, you know often I've been surprised if you know I might not necessarily want a long term mentoring relationship, but I've you know, had some questions for a particular person, senior person in the field, if you ask them for a coffee, they, they'll pretty much always say yes. Um, so people want to help. Um, so, you know, I just, I think people should be more willing to, to ask. People are normally quite flattered to, to be asked for their advice. Uh, I've definitely found that people that I've reached out to also have been very kind and very reciprocative in any sort of, um, you know, wanting to meet up and, and have a coffee and a chat. So I definitely recommend to anyone if there's someone that you want to talk to I'm sure there's a way that you can get in contact with them um, and that, I'm sure that'll be very beneficial as well um, so in terms of let's say there are some other people who would like to either establish their own network or even a community initiative or, or try and get together with a group of people that they would like to that they have a shared experience with um, would you give any advice and to people who would like to establish something like the when or um, so I think my advice is to make sure you have um, the right people. Um, so that's something that we've certainly found is having people that are really passionate about the cause and willing to kind of put in the time. That's always the challenge with any volunteer organisation is that, you know, you are asking for people's time and that is that is precious. So if you can get people that are willing to, to share their time to get things done, that is an absolutely fantastic resource. Um, in terms of kind of more specific things, we found we actually sort of started with a Facebook group and that worked really well. Um, so we sort of just set up a Women in Economics Facebook page, sent it to females that we knew that were economists, they sent it to their friends that were economists. Um, I think we've got more than 1,000 members now, um, I think 1,500 followers on Twitter. Um, so social media, I think, has been an incredible boon to try and organize groups of people that are not necessarily kind of either geographically or, or linked in in any other way so you know using those um, social media devices well I think can be really helpful to to get momentum around something yeah and to get some people together and that's right and find yeah. them in the first place. and that's how we found our one so we had people from that first retreat but then I just put out a call for volunteers on the Facebook page yeah. and you know some of our great committee members that are still working with us after, you know, a year and a half came just just through seeing that yeah. on Facebook and saying that they were interested and they wanted to help. That's great. Um, so just to be wary of our time together, um, just a couple more questions uh, in terms of advice you've received and advice you've given to other people and potentially advice you'd give to yourself. So what's the best advice that you may have received from somebody about your career? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Hard one. Um, I think the best advice I receive, and this, you know, something I just said then, so I've stolen it, <laughs> is to work for someone who you respect and admire. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly, I've had various points in my career where I've been tossing up a number of different offers, um, and so that's often been the circuit, the, the deciding factor. Sure. Because um, normally they're all kind of interesting jobs and things that I would enjoy. Um, so that's actually what someone said to me very on early on in my career and um, sometimes I followed it and sometimes I didn't and then perhaps 10 years later I was like, oh, that's such a really wise, <laughs> it's a very wise thing to say because more than anything to me that's 
what makes a difference in terms of how much I enjoy the, the job, that and the people that I'm working with. Um, so that was a very good piece of advice and something that I probably should have paid more attention to early on in my career. Yeah. Is there anything else like in terms of the network or um, anything else that you'd like to say to, to reach out to anybody? Or um, the, the other thing we haven't touched on with the network that I'm really passionate about is boosting female representation in the media. Okay. So that's um, something that I found really shocking when we started to dig around in statistics um, around female participation is if you look at the proportion of women uh, quoted as economists in the media, 9% of people that are economists are women. Yeah. Okay. Which is, you know, we know that um, about a third of economists are women. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're already underrepresented in the profession, but then massively underrepresented in terms of public profile. So it goes to what we were talking about before about role models and what people see you know if they think of an economist they're probably going to think of an old guy with silver hair because that is 99% of the economists we see on not 99 90% of the economists we see on tv um so you know it's something I think is really important to to boosting participation is to get more women um participating in the media and talking about their work Um, and you know some people in government for example that's not an easy Thing to do because you're constrained in what you can say but I certainly um, spend a lot of time talking to academics about this because that's something that they could do more of so it's, it's trying to encourage women to, to put themselves out there and you know to think about ways they can um, share their research with the world um, so either through you know getting yourself in front of journalists and doing interviews or submitting opinion pieces or even just putting a link to your um, your research on your Twitter account um, the more we can get kind of women's voices in the debate, the more I think we will both improve the quality of the economic debate and then overall in the long term improve the gender balance in the profession. And um, WEN has also got a, a, re- a resources page on their website as well. It's like you have a link to women in media, is that correct, or a media register? Uh, we have our own media register. Yeah. Um, so if women are actually interested in um, being contacted by journalists, um, we have uh, it's a searchable database of females that are um, willing and able to talk in the media or to do public speaking, and um, you can put in your kind of areas of expertise. So it's sort of searchable. So if someone's interested in labour economics, they can go and find a, a female there. Um, and I know some journalists are already using that to try and find people. Um, oh, so it, I think you know the the barrier is. Um, not just that women haven't been as willing to put themselves forward, or I think there's an element of that in there, but often it's just that journalists have relationships, they're on deadline, they go back to the people that they've used before. Yep. Um, so what we need to do is kind of uh, disrupt that and give them a, an easy resource that they can go to to find a, a new set of names and people, and then hopefully that then becomes self-perpetuating. Yeah, a new set of connections. Exactly, they they're next on the list. And then they're <laughs> like, yeah, and they work their way through it, yeah. Um, so what's next for when? Um, I saw online you also have a, a research hub as well that you're aiming to put out sometime this year. Or... Yeah, so the idea of the research hub is that it's a chance for us to promote research by female economists. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just to focus on really interesting economic work that um, females are doing and kind of put that up in lights. Um, different states are doing um, setting up mentoring programs, so the more sort of formal side of mentoring um, so some some states, those are coming into effect this year. 
we will continue to run um, a huge range of events. Um, and we've got some really fabulous speakers again. We've, we've just asked people we've got, um, in, for example, in Melbourne, we've got um, Kelly O'Dwyer, the Financial Services Minister slash Minister for Women, um, speaking at an event in a, in a few weeks' time. Um, so we're thrilled to be able to hear from her. And we are organising our next gender economics workshop. So we ran the first one in Fremantle at the start of this year. Um, and the idea of that is to bring together um, academics that are working on um, gender-related research, but with policymakers and policy people to try and get the conversation going about you know, how you can translate that research into to real world strategies so that will be in Melbourne next year so we've got a huge number of different yeah. things on the go um, but and it's all possible because we have so many really fantastic committed people that, that volunteer their, their time and effort into making it all happen. Absolutely and I've been to a, quite a few of your events as well and they're great so I would definitely encourage anybody to go um, and how can how can people find you what is the, the website? Um, so it is www esawen.org.au um, otherwise if you just search women in economics australia it should hopefully come up I'm close sure to will, the yeah. <laughs> close to the top close to the top of the page um, we're also on facebook um, again if you just search women in economics australia um, and, and Twitter and LinkedIn. So um, feel free to join us through all of those different channels. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Danny. Thanks for having me. <laughs>